All right, everyone, we are live. It is mid-afternoon edition of the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show today on a very snowy, blustery January 14th. It's Sunday, right, Matthew? Sunday? It is. Seeing you on a Sunday. This is usually the day of rest for you, rest and recovery. But um, thanks, everyone, for hopping in. YouTube-only live stream today. Thought maybe we'd get together. Kind of the idea was hopefully some of you are like us, sitting at home, trapped in our houses. You're not going to be able to drive anywhere today. So what better way to spend this afternoon before the football playoffs begin than sitting here with Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic and I. So just formal introduction. That's Matthew Fairburn right there. Here we go. I got it right <laughs> time. I, this is the easy one, I'm Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects. You can find me on Twitter. Hey, before we jump in, I'm getting really good at this. Like this video, subscribe to the channel. You can find the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show wherever you get your podcast. Please leave a five-star rating of this show and crap all over us in the comments if you like. All right, Matthew. We were last together. Let's just jump right in, kid. We were last together on January 4th. And since then, the Sabres have kept up their ping-ponging ways. Uh, of wins and losses. So last time you and I were together coming off a 6-1 victory against Montreal, that was Devin Levi's return to the province of Quebec. Picked up a big victory there. They seem to be doing pretty well on the road. I'm having kind of deja vu view here. Because then um, the game after we were together, they went into Pittsburgh and won 3-1. They got back on that two wins in a row train after a long stretch of not being able to do so. But then they come back home, enter a six-game homestand, and they've since gone 1-2, losing to Seattle 5-2, defeating Ottawa 5-3. And then on Saturday, falling one nothing to Vancouver. So kind of a moral victory there, Matthew, I think. They um, held the highest scoring. I think they're the highest scoring team in the league, Vancouver. Held them to one goal. That's great, but kind of doesn't matter if you can't get one of your own. So I think to properly tee it up today, I thought, um, well, first of all, the Sabres are 43 games into the season, 18, 21, and four. That's good for 40 points on the year, eight points back of the final wild card spot. 127 goals for it, so they're at a minus 16 goal differential. And if you go back to a year ago, kind of prudent, right? We're kind of at the halfway point of the season, a little over halfway through. One year ago today, January 14th, 2023, the Sabres at that time had played 41 games. They were 21, 18, and two, good for 44 points. They were five back from the wild card spot at that time. But they were 159 goals four with a plus 17 differential. So this year, minus 16 goal differential, plus 17 a year ago. Is that the only thing that's different on this team this year? Because I think that that's kind of a nice proper starting point here. I mean, where are we going with this team? You and I talked about it a week ago. It's like if they don't start winning some games, well, then you got to start pushing some buttons, right? But what else? Am, what am I missing? They're not scoring at the same rate this season that they did last year. But maybe they're not. They're right, Matthew Fairburn. They are. They're not scoring at the same rate they did a year ago, but. What if I told you at five on five, they have the six most goals in the NHL. Now they've played 43 games. So if we make that a rate statistic, they're right around the top 10 per 60 minutes, I believe, um, in goals for at five on five. 
the five on five offense has not had a massive drop off, but the power play is awful. The power play is in the bottom of the league. I think they're marginally better defensively. I think the statistics would bear that out advanced and otherwise, but I don't think anybody would confuse them with a good defensive hockey team at this point. So the goaltending has not been stellar. It's not been a massive problem. The defense hasn't improved enough to make up for the lack of offense. And I just consider them to be one of the most confusing teams I've ever, you know, certainly the most confusing team I've ever covered in either sport, you know, just trying to figure them out. And Brian Cummings is here in the chat as always, and had a, a great question the other day in the comments of one of my stories that I've been chewing on and don't really have an answer for the gist of it was it was a long, well thought out comment, but the gist of it was individually, there's a lot we can agree that you can like about this team, right? A lot of players that you like, a lot of moves that in a vacuum were okay, but the sum does not equal the parts. And that, for whatever reason, has been consistent throughout the season, that the sum does not equal the parts. And that's why when we talk about going forward with this team, I think it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, anytime you bring up a player to trade, there's going to be disagreement. Casey Middlestat, we've talked about, and there's a lot of people that yeah. like Casey Middlestat for good reason. Uh, you can go down the roster of, of players that yeah, including other teams. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And so it's hard to pinpoint where you go forward from here, but they are one of the most disappointing teams in the NHL. I think this season based on their preseason expectations. And the frustrating part is that they're no longer in that position where you feel as a fan I can't imagine there's a lot of fans sitting there feeling good about another top 10 draft pick, right? Other fan bases this time of year, if they're in a similar spot, start to get, get excited about a top 10 pick because they've tasted the playoffs before in the last dozen years. And they know that, you know, it's okay to have a top 10 pick once in a while. The Sabres took a one year break after a decade plus straight of having top 10 picks. And it looks like they might be right back there picking in the top 10 again. And it's, uh, it's just not good enough from from the top down, I feel like. So part of it, I think, <clears throat> tell me what you think about this comment. It is are our injuries that the Sabres have experienced this year a valid excuse for lack of sustained winning streaks, good play? Because some of I mean, just look at what's happening right now. Thompson was out for a while, right? Key player. Now Skinner's out. Skinner was scoring goals. One of the few guys that was consistently putting the puck in the back of the net this year. Is that a valid excuse? I mean, Samuelson, we don't know what's going to be going on with him. He's been a kind of a minute horse, regardless of what you think about his metrics and everything else. Is that a valid excuse you think that the Sabres can lean into? Or do you just have to say, look, every team deals with injuries, uh, suck it up and find a way. I fall closer to the the latter there. Um, I I was asked this question as well. I did a two part mailbag this week. Tons of questions. So for any 
anybody out there that thinks apathy is setting in in Saberland, uh, I would have them go check out the the comment thread on my mailbag. It was almost 200 comments strong and a lot of good and, and valid questions. And one of them was how much are injuries a part of, of what, what is happening? And I do want to give them some, you know, I want to give them some weight here on injuries because you mentioned some of the big ones, missing Tage Thompson for three weeks, Alex Tuck being banged up for a good part of the season. But here's where it falls short for me. And I'm actually curious to get your thoughts on this because it's been rattling around in my brain and I've been saving it for for the podcast to get your thoughts. Early in the week, Don Granato was talking about how the team has struggled to be in the moment and or how they need to be in the moment when it was ahead of the homestand and the conversation was steering towards needing a bunch of wins on the homestand. And he said, we need to stay in the moment. We can't be looking at stuff. And I asked, how do you feel like the team has done staying in the moment this year? And long, the long and short of it was not well, but he said he thought it had been better lately. And I said, why do you think it's been better lately? And he pointed to health. And the first name, and he brings this name up a lot when he talks about health, is Jack Quinn. Mm -hmm. And valid, right? Jack Quinn was out until mid-December, and we see what he's done since being inserted into the lineup. I don't know that you get to use missing Jack Quinn as an excuse when there was not much effort made to replace Jack Quinn. That's something that I've kind of been been rattling around is why does Jack Quinn's name keep popping up when there was plenty of time to find some sort of stopgap, make some sort of effort. You're not going to replace Jack Quinn one for one, but the same forward group came back untouched other than Zach Benson, who surprised them, I think, at camp by making the team. And there was no outside help for that forward group. And we're sitting here talking about a team that's struggling on the power play, a team that is not scoring at the same rate that it was a year ago, knew it would be without Jack Quinn as of NHL draft weekend, and is now sort of, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, well, we were missing Jack Quinn for a few months as if it was an opening night injury. I just feel like they didn't prepare themselves well enough for the injury. So have the injuries been a problem? Yes. But I just don't think that there was enough done to protect against that and deal with, you know, have the, the appropriate depth to withstand the inevitable. You know, they weren't going to be as healthy as they were a year ago. It's almost inevitable. So I don't know. I, I, I can see both sides of it there. I don't think that they were going to go out and replace Quinn by making a trade and bringing in another skill player. Because when you go back to last season, the offense really wasn't the problem. They were amongst the league leaders and team goal scoring, right? I mean, they were up there goals per game for the entire season. We talked about it last week. I think that you were, if you were going to go shopping, you were going to do it with more grit grunt work guys that are going to play fast and hard at the bottom of the lineup. We talked about two names uh, last time we were together, Garnet Hathaway, Miles Wood, two examples of the types of players that maybe they could have brought in. Kevin Adams has also told us in Don Granado that they were going to block the path of some of their younger players, right or wrong. Right. But I think they kind of told us that they weren't going to go out and fish. They were going to lean into year over year growth with the core group that they had and bring back Ogposo and Gergensen's for that veteran leadership. 
But then you look at a game like last night, and I don't want to get too far off track because I think we want to go back to your point. But it's like, Akposo's been like on an island, he and Gergens all year, though, with the leadership. That's the problem. There's still a gap between guys that play that team toughness game, the team game. Eric Johnson has to come out and, and take on JT Miller last night. So back to your point, I think that right or wrong, right or wrong, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. I think they looked at Matthew Savoy and they wanted to give him a look. They want to block some of these young players. Was Kulik ready? Brandon Byro, a guy that they wanted to call up last year before getting dinged up. Were those the types of guys that they could insert to help them just ride it out until Quinn got healthy? I think that's the answer. Again, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just trying to explain it, kind of go back and assess the situation where they were at the end of last year as a team, how young they were, forecasting the year-over-year growth, and then rolling the dice, just like they did with the goaltending. I think that's what happened. Quinn, though, to your point, is... I said it last week, and I don't want to sit here and repeat everything I said last week. He changes the way the team looks. That's been a huge injury. I think that the injuries do matter, especially when you look at who the injuries have been to Tage, now Skinner. But it's it's tricky, man. That that and gold Tuck, differential like when you, and Tuck, yeah, yeah, he, he's been held together by <laughs> a strange. It's for part of the while. tricky part of the injuries in in hockey compared to football where you get an injury report every week, you know, some of these guys that are out, you know, Darlene's been getting routine maintenance days all year. It feels like, and playing through stuff. Samuelson's been in and out of the lineup. Tuck was really fighting it early in the year and seems like he's starting to get relatively healthy. So like I said, they are valid. But the depth forwards that they brought back, and we should also mention Gergensen's. He was out for a while, too. Mm -hmm. And so it just strains your depth. And the inability to move Victor Olofsson or really have a plan for giving him a legitimate role at any point, the, you know, bringing back Tyson Jost, needing to go out and get Eric Robinson to try to, you know, put duct tape on a, on a bullet wound, all... It felt like to me they're not leaning into those young players, right? Kulik gets one game, and then he's right back down. One game that was an ugly team game where he had, you know, seemingly no chance to really fit in or show what he could do. And so I don't know. I just felt like they made the wrong bets, you know, that this summer is what it comes down yep. to. And I don't think they underestimated what Jack Quinn meant to their lineup. I don't think they did that, but. Him coming back, I think, shows everybody else how much they were missing. And then it just begs the question, why wasn't more done? Because even if it's a, a grittier player like we talked about, Garnett Hathaway or Miles Wood, that pushes somebody else up the lineup, right? I think Zach Benson could play top six minutes for you. I think I wrote you that know, down today that I want to talk about that. Yeah. I think Casey Middlestat could have jumped into a first or second line wing role if you wanted to shuffle up those top two lines but you can't do that unless you insulate the the bottom six with some of those veteran depth signings that we talk about so i think part of the bigger question bigger picture conversation is that the injuries matter in the big picture when we're talking about this team as if they don't make the playoffs it is a failure right because that's the bar that was set and Failing does not mean you tear it down and burn it to the ground and start over. You just have to assess 
where do you move? You can't run it back, right? And and just hope it goes better. But where is patience necessary? And where is patience holding them back? I think is what they have to figure out the rest of this season and the rest of, you know, into the off season, starting with the head coach, starting with, you know, some of the key players, and then evaluating their own talent. Because what you just talked about, I think your mindset on what they were thinking is dead on. But I also think that's part of the problem that mm -hmm. the evaluation of what was in house, especially the prospects here, because none of them were really ready other than the guy mm -hmm. they drafted in June. And if they were ready, they didn't give them much of a chance to show it. So that's what has to happen because the playoffs are a bit of a pipe dream given the way they've started this homestand. Could it happen? Sure. But mathematically, it's a long shot. So it becomes yeah, about, <laughs> it's slim. It's like, you know, depending on who you ask, let's see what money puck says right now, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's less than what three, I don't even want to throw a number out there because I haven't looked at it, but it can't be more than 3%. Right. I mean, look, lightning's not going to strike twice. 4.5 like a couple years ago. 4.5. Okay. Better than According I, according to money, giving them credit for um, Okay. The athletics most recent had them at around 3%. So they've got I, eight I, points back and they're behind, you know, how many teams between them and the devils or the lightning, whoever they keep flipping, swapping back and forth. So it's four or five teams between them and it's a challenge point being. So it's about self-evaluation the rest of the way, because I do not think that I think the expectation should remain the same going into next season. The playoffs should be very much attainable next season. And I have not changed my opinion on that. And part of it maybe is because of the injuries, because if they were healthier and they had gotten rolling a little bit earlier, maybe things do go a different way. So I'm not of the belief that it's time to you know tear things down and start selling them for parts. You know, it was interesting. So this week, um, a couple of publications, I think, had like their valuations of NHL franchises come out, you know, like the Maple Leafs, MLSE, it's worth like, you know, a billions of dollars right and then you have the sabers that are like down near the bottom it's a franchise that hasn't had playoff revenue coming in in forever i can't tell you who was president the last time the sabers were in the playoff series you had a flat cap this year right because escrow kind of so i think what we're saying is so do you, i can go back to the offseason and say their inability to to move victor olsen because everything has to be a financial move you can't make an emotional move it has to work financially their inability to move that salary and reinvest some of those dollars elsewhere, I think was what defined the off season. If you, if you look at what they had and these assets that they had to manage through in the off season going forward, is that fair or am I way off? I could be way off. I don't think you're way off, but I don't think it's fair. If that makes sense. I don't think you're mm -hmm. way off. But I don't think that should have been a reasonable excuse because they still had cap space, right? At some point, they well, but they're on a team that just because there's a well, salary cap for the league, they're on their own cap, and that's part of what I mentioned. That's why I mentioned the that's lack of revenue. Just because the point. cap is yeah. X, the Sabers have their own cap. Okay, sorry. Yeah, that's I why I say that clear. That's why I say you're right, but it's not a fair excuse, right? Like I think you're right. You know, money in, money out matters to them, but. You know, we all have heard the quotes from when Terry Pagula bought the team. And so if anybody, I don't think anybody sitting at home 
would be feeling too good to know that 4.5 million of Victor Olofsson prevented them from going out and spending 4.5 million on Garnet Hathaway, you know, and that's where, like, I do think you're, you bring up a good point and I think you're, you're probably onto something there, but is it a reasonable excuse when Kevin Adams, I asked him after they signed Owen power about just that spending willingness to spend. And I, I said, is it, this starting to show that you know the willingness to spend is there for the right players and he was emphatic that there's always been a willingness to spend and you know seemed to to scoff at the notion otherwise but it was what we're coming up on four years since terry pagula at the start of the pandemic was talking about needing to be economic and efficient and all these things and to your point playoff mm -hmm. revenue has not come in the bottom line for this franchise has not improved attendance is an issue they're bottom five in the nhl in attendance once again and that could be a reality here and it could be you know part of what may be prevented and the other thing that i think we've brought up before but the reputation of the franchise has not improved enough in league circles to be in the running for everybody you know, mm -hmm. whether it's Garnet, like uh, Tomas to talk. Those players would have been, exactly, been perfect. Yeah. He would have been perfect, but he went to Colorado. Why would he choose Buffalo over Colorado? You know, it, and that's on them. They have to continue to, to climb the standings. And if Buffalo is not a winner, Buffalo is not a destination. So I, I saw it in football covering the Bills. Once the Bills started winning, Really, once they got Josh Allen and he proved to be good, attracting free agents was not an issue. Buffalo, the location, is not an excuse, I would think, especially for hockey players, right? In the NHL, where you have more guys that yeah. are from Canada, the Toronto area, uh, you know, I think the location itself isn't a problem, but you have to win. And you have to not only win, but you have to not be a, a franchise that's chasing off good players that, you know, these guys leave and they, they act like they've been reborn, uh, you know, and... Ryan O'Reilly talking about losing the love of game, you know, Jack Eichel having his, you know, issues with the team, all these little things I think add up in terms of your reputation with players. So was their internal spending limiting them? Was their external reputation limiting them? Probably. And that's why sometimes they are forced to bet on homegrown talent and the patient approach and hope it pays off. And when you do that, you're going to have growing pains. It's not going to be easy. And that's where individually, I think there's still reason to have faith in a lot of these players. And that's where I'm not totally pessimistic about the future of this team. I also think it's why fans are so frustrated because there is so much talent and there is, it is sort of right there, but it's not, uh, you know, the sum is not equal to the parts. Well, yeah, and that question from from Cummings, I think, was what got me on the injury thing. That's my answer to it. I think when it's all said and done, that's a big part of it. Honestly, I mean, you can't argue the results that they had last year, and then look at what happened this year, and say injuries don't have something a big part of that. I think, I think, I'm not making excuses. I just that's that was my knee jerk reaction to that thought that that Brian brought up. You know, you mentioned attendance. How the hell did they have 17,662 billed at yesterday's game against Vancouver? 
that's like one of the higher attendances, at least tickets. I think that's a ticket sold number. But like when you look at like opening night, then the holiday games, like Thanksgiving, the two that were around Christmas, New Year's, and then like a Leafs game, that's like one of the higher, is it Vancouver? Is Vancouver that much of a draw? (laughs) There were quite a few Vancouver fans there. I was surprised they played the game as scheduled. I would have thought they would move it up, but Sportsnet had the game. ABC had the exclusive window at one o'clock, all these things. To me, weather-wise, it made perfect sense. Move it up to one o'clock. Vancouver would have been able to get out of town. They could not get out of town last night. Uh, The Sharks could not get into town yet. And I don't know if anybody in the chat was at the game and, and drove home, but my drive home was not. I, you know, I, I come to the South towns. I know not everybody does getting out of downtown was pretty much fine, but getting to the South towns was not, not great. So I was like you shocked to see, I don't know if 17,000 were there, but I was shocked to see the amount of people that were in the building. And in a, you know, we talk about the business side of things and just as like Mm -hmm. an aside from an attendance standpoint, they're not doing great this year. They're also getting terrible luck. You have this Saturday game afternoon against Vancouver that should be a big draw, like, you know, bringing some fans from Canada, some visiting fans, whatever, best team in the league. And you get the the snowstorm that probably keeps some people out of the building. Monday, the game is now pushed up to noon against the, the team or the league worst San Jose Sharks with a Bills playoff game, you know, a few hours later with a snowstorm still you know, swirling in parts of Western New York, they may still have to change that game. But if they don't, there's going to be hardly anybody there, I would think. And then Wednesday, Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks come to town, (laughs) which would have been a massive draw. Uh, Probably still have some leftover Blackhawks fans in South Buffalo from from the Patrick Kane days. But Connor Bedard broke his jaw and won't be playing. So this kid that's like the hot ticket item in the NHL, now he won't be playing. So in addition to having not won the fan base back entirely and issues with the arena, all these variables that are causing poor attendance and the disappointing team. They're also just now catching bad luck in January here with some of these games that, that could have been, you know, nice draws. And now they're, I don't know how many people are going to be there for the next two games. The economic hockey gods have not been good to the Sabres to your point tomorrow, by the way, that game against San Jose that sets up for, for me, you know, good feeling in town. People are going to be juiced up for the Bills game. That should be like a big win for the Sabres. Like a big win. Like six nothing win. Like the like that Montreal. I'd probably just jinx it. Sabres probably going to get the <laughs> shit kicked out of them now. But that should be a big win for the Sabres. And it's it's usually those games who like no one's paying attention to. That like people be watching Twitter like, oh, the Sabres are rolling. They're up four nothing in the first period. Then they're going to turn it on TV. They might not be in attendance on site to your point but that's part of that whole thought coming into this part of the schedule like san jose chicago you got to win those games kind of keep the hope alive but um let's talk about tage for a second um i don't know exactly when you know so him coming back from that injury he had some extra padding on his wrist right and then it seemed noticeable i texted you i think during the game might've been the Ottawa game when he started really firing those shots. He looks different with that shot. Now he like, do you think the goals are going to start coming for him now that the padding's off? He seems to be freed. He can do more with his hands. 
Are you expecting a big second half surge from Paige? What is it, Nathaniel Thompson? Yes, TNT. Uh, I I am, but he's probably as snake bitten as anybody in terms of injuries right now, because he has that big game against Ottawa, and then he can't finish the game because of an injury. The second injury he had that night because he took a stick to the face and had to get stitches. Yeah, and then I don't even know they didn't label it as upper or lower, but you know, he didn't come out against Vancouver and necessarily look like he did against Ottawa. So he's got to stay healthy. And, you know, these injuries aren't the same injuries that plagued him last year. These ones feel like more, more bad luck. You know, he had sort of the back last year, a hip injury at one point. The back was one where you were worried a guy that tall, is that going to be a nagging thing? But yeah. This year it's takes a puck off the wrist. You know, should he have been on the penalty kill at that point when they were down like five one against the Bruins? Probably not, but you know, there he was and didn't use the best technique to block the shot and has a it was a, a, actually a broken hand. So he, you know, with the extra padding and the grip on the stick, of course his shot's not going to be as good. It looks like that part of his game is back, but yeah. then he loses a line mate, right? Uh, and Jeff Skinner and has something else that's nagging him. They run into a hot goalie on Saturday. So, you know, in theory, yes, it should be a big second half for Tage Thompson. And you'd like to our point about, you know, evaluating this roster, showing some patience, giving some benefit of the doubt. You would like to see a big second half from him because you don't, you'd prefer to believe that all these guys who had career years who have since regressed that there's a middle ground somewhere, right? Maybe he's not a 47 goal scorer every single season, but he should have more than what's he got now? 13 at the moment, you know, he should have more than that. So that's a big part of the equation is Tage Thompson being a superstar. You know, these top teams in the league have superstars carrying their team. And the the Sabres superstars have either not been healthy enough to carry the team or not consistent enough when they are healthy. And the other guys, Dylan Cousins, I think, falls into that that camp who has made some improvements in parts of his game, but the offensive game just hasn't been there. I don't want to steal your thought here, but... You mentioned this before we hopped on when I was having my weekly bout of technical difficulties. The year-over-year transformation of the Vancouver Canucks, right? Because we talked about where the Sabres were a year ago, and I'm trying to bring it up here because I had to restart, so I lost all my windows that I had opened to support this endeavor. But yeah, okay, so last January 14th, Vancouver was 17-22-3. Oh, yeah, they were like, hold on. Sorry, I I need to just do this on the fly. I apologize. This is really good for people that are going to be listening to this on audio. But they were, oh my God. Yeah, they were like 14 points out of the final wildcard spot. So it's like, so let's just get to that part, right? Because I know you want to talk about this and we didn't really discuss this. So I'm kind of curious to see where this this goes. How did Vancouver do it? (laughs) And how can the Sabres become next year's Vancouver? So I would have to, oh my God, they were minus 22 goal differential last year at this time. Also, they were wild. 
they were a bad hockey team last year. <laughs> Thatcher Demko was not healthy. So that was part of it. Um, they so getting Thatcher Demko back has been a big deal. He has four shutouts. He's playing excellent. They have a new coach, right? Fired Bruce, mm -hmm. Bruce Boudreaux partway through last season, halfway through, maybe around this time. And Rick Tockett came in um, and started to turn things around. They have Carson Soucy is new. Mm -hmm. Zadorov is new they early this season. This year. Yeah. So a few small moves. Uh, I'm trying to see who else is new. Two two similar moves that Sabres fans would have liked to have seen made this year, right? Defensive depth. Now I know one right. was in season. Okay. Now they the Sabres the Sabres add Eric Johnson and Connor Clifton. Not quite not quite the same. Uh there's a player profile difference but, there between yeah. the Sabres added and what Vancouver went out and got. Susie's a good player. He he and Zadorov, you know, his presence was felt yesterday uh, against the Sabres. So I would say they've been more aggressive. They, they're getting big bounce back years from the players that need to have them. And to the point about superstars, right? You have Quinn Hughes playing out of his mind, right? Like looking like a Norris mm -hmm. Trophy, you know, a, a Norris Trophy winner this year. And Rasmus Dahlin... Like, is he capable of that? Absolutely. So, you know, there's, are the ingredients there for a similar turnaround? Maybe. But, you know, I asked Don Granado, you know, what his, what he saw as the biggest difference between, you know, last year and this year with the Canucks. And he mentioned confidence, mojo. They're not afraid to make mistakes. They're last year, they were tight. They, and they carried that around all year. And as he was saying that, I was thinking of the Sabres this year. It's like, that's what they're carrying around, right? Like, that's that's their big problem is they're, they are afraid to make mistakes. This pressure seems to be getting them. The injuries are, are piling up and taking them out of the moment or whatever phrases Don Granato wants to use. And But that confidence wasn't just those guys woke up and got confident. It was a few moves that you know, beef them up, you get the goalie healthy and you're off and running a little bit. And the big variable, right. Is a new coach. They even I, had a guy that wanted out after last year, right. Didn't Connor Garland want out of there and he's still there. Yeah. And they're even <laughs> scratching, uh, you know, a guy that had how many goals did Kuzmenko have last year? 40 something. And he's been healthy scratched once in a while because Rick Tockett's trying to get through him and 39 goals last season. Yeah. So, you know, how much of that do you attribute to Rick Tockett? I guess we'll find out when the, when the Jack Adams votes come through, right? How much the, the hockey world at large, you know, believes that, that he's had a big hand in that, but there's also some out there that would say that they're, shooting percentage being so high that the, maybe they will fall back down to earth a little bit, but still what you pointed to from a year ago, they are a much better team, even if they are getting some nice shooting luck or nice goalie luck once in a while, like they are, they're a dangerous team. Seems like goaltending is kind of that big differentiator year over year with Demko. I mean, Demko is having a Vezina season. 
Just right, having that steady that. in them. Well, no, I think that's the big, and again, it aligns with what fans wanted. More defensive depth, goaltending, veteran netminder, maybe. We heard that a lot. You go through those, there's some similarities there. Did they get a do-over this year? They go out and add some defensemen, you know? Yoki Haru, they've been scratching him. Is he in the future plans? What's the story there? Do you go out and get the goaltender? Do you reset that whole thing a year late? Coaching, though, I think it's coaching and goaltending, right? I think that's kind of what this whole thing's going to boil down to. Yeah, because the personnel moves weren't dramatic. You know, they did they make better bets than the Sabres did uh, with their few moves? Hard to argue the results. Hard to argue, right? Like the their defensemen, you know, have been have been pretty good. Trying to see who else they added. Ian Cole is back in there for them uh, this year. They lost Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, Teddy Bluger uh, is new. When did they pick up Sam Lafferty? There's a gritty uh, role player. Yeah, he's another one. So, yeah, I mean, they did make, you know, these enough tweaks. This was not a team that a lot of people had a lot of high hopes for coming into the season either. Uh, they mm. were written off, I think, by a lot of people. So, sure, coaching is probably the biggest variable. Like you're getting more out of certain players. Goaltending is a huge variable. Can the Sabres get that level of goaltending with what they have? Because it's not like they went out and got Demko, the Canucks, right? He just got healthy. But that would have to be a veteran from outside, I think, unless Devin Levi, you think, is ready to make that kind of jump in year two, which is quite the leap. Or maybe Uko Pekalukunen can can find one of those seasons. I think you would probably be closer to me on this than some people. I'm not of the opinion that goaltending is some impossible to predict position. I think no, there, impossible. I think there is a degree of difficulty. There's some randomness to the position, but I think throwing up your hands and saying it's it's totally random and there's no no way to, no. to predict which goalies will be good. I think is. I, th I think it's kind of it, imagine if football teams did that with quarterbacks. Well, there's no way to know. You just got to guess, right? Like, no, it's not the important. case. Goalie's too yeah. important to guess. And I think they're the advantage goes to teams that figure it out and get the answer. And, you know, the scouting and development and, you know, of that position in particular is super important. And so the Sabres big bet at that position is on Devin Levi. They have passed up doing a lot of things and cleared the path in a lot of ways for him. So are they going to, going into his second season, make a big bet on a veteran? I have a hard time seeing it. Got to see how he finishes the season. I think it's clear, you know, Devin Levi is going to be a good NHL netminder. It's just a matter of when. I mean, look at Thatcher Demko. He's having this Vezina season at age 28. He, to me, in his draft year was a first-round prospect. I think he went early second round. Jake Ottinger is a very good goalie. He was a first-rounder, I want to say, and he was clearly a first-round talent. That goes to my point. It's not perfect, but you know a good goaltender when they're young, when you see it. That's how I feel about Devin Levi. That's how I think Kevin Adams obviously feels about Devin Levi. Don Granado, right? So now it's just a matter of when. But can you wait until Devin Levi's 28? To have his Vezina caliber season? Hell no. Right. Right? So I think that the people that wanted 
attention to the position in hindsight were completely correct. As much as they wanted to just roll the dice and have faith that this was going to be this outlier, this talented kid who's supreme mentally skilled, just going to get it together and bypass some learnings <laughs> that it took. I don't know, man. It's, it's exhausting thinking about the team these days. We're going to do it. We're going to continue to do it. But that Vancouver thing was interesting when you brought it up. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how, like process, like, you know, what did they do when you realize they're very similar <laughs> in, in how they're constructed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Did you, we, we should probably talk about Darlene too, by the way, I'm segueing like all over the place. We should talk today, about Darlene. But we should talk about Darlene because I saw your story and that was some interesting comments about the rush. Yeah, it was, I talked to him on Thursday and my impetus for talking to him was he was clearly frustrated on Tuesday against Seattle, broke his stick over the crossbar. And, you know, people always start talking when stuff like that happens of only a matter of time before Rasmus Dahlin, you know, wants people are a little bit scarred here. Uh, you know, Rasmus Dahlin wants to win with the Sabres. I think he very much wants to be, you know, that leader, that future captain. But I was curious just about how he, there's been a lot of mixing and matching back there, right? On defense. Like how, how is it all working? Are you starting to find some answers? And his answer was that, you know, I'll read the, the couple of quotes that he had. He said, I've been thinking about it the last two days here and what the team needs right now is a steady decor. I can't really jump into rushes right now. I got to have more responsibility and I have to take care of the D zone more. It's going to be a little bit different from my side in terms of defensively, but it's what the team needs right now. And I'm very excited for it. And on the defense as a whole, he said, I'm responsible for that too. We'll see how much offense we're going to create because we need good defense. Now the individual stuff, you have to put that aside and dial in defensively. And I, it's an, it's an interesting part of what makes Rasmus Dahlin so good is that he can create offensively, right? You need those defensemen, yeah. you know, the, the best defensemen in the NHL are that way. And I think there is a definite perception from the outside that when Don Granado took over and allowed him to play more free and got him out of his head, that he unlocked some of the best parts of Rasmus Dahlin and it's parts of why he earned that $11 million a year contract. But he's not been good defensively this year. Well, I was going to say, is he that good defensively that he can just focus? Right. I mean, he, you know, you have to be competent defensively. You can't be a pylon out there when you line up on the blue line, right? But I mean, is he that good defensively to say that? Right. Is it a matter of focus, <laughs> right? Is it a matter of yeah. just turning his attention back, which is, you know, probably a bigger point about the team. Don Granado's point a lot of the times last year was, well, now we've turned a lot of focus to offense. Now we just need to turn it to defense and it'll be fine. And obviously that's not really been the case is it isn't a matter of just focusing on it and you'll be better. He hasn't been good defensively this year, Rasmus Dahlin. And so it may not be the worst thing for him to, I think he has a tendency to try when he gets frustrated, he tries to do everything right. He tries to put the team on his back. He tries to, uh, you know, kind of, do a little bit too much at times. Mm -hmm. And so 
maybe just trying to settle down a little bit is the best thing for him. And, but in a way, you know, Don Granado mentioned that he likes to see Samuelson and Darlene at their best, you know, they're assertive and they're, they're closing their gaps in a hurry. Their first step isn't backwards, all these things. So I think the worst fear for a lot of people, at least based on, you know, response to that quote on social media is that Darlene's going to be too in his head now. Right. And that he's already too in his head and that this is like Ralph Kruger stuff. Right. You I was know, just going to ask you how many yeah. people commented like the Ralph Kruger flashback. Right. Did yeah, you get some, that's you got some of that? Yeah. A lot of that. And so expected, yeah. I don't think this is quite that, <laughs> but I think it's just the reality of the points Shit. are there. If you just looked at the points, you would think Rasmus Dahlin's season is just like it was last season, but it's the defensive part that's uh, pretty bad. I had in my story last night, he's been on the ice for, I believe it's 169 high danger chances against at five on five, which is like among the most in the NHL for defensemen. And yesterday was the first game he had all season long where he wasn't on the ice for a single high danger chance against at five on five. He didn't miss a little bit of time, but he didn't miss that much time. And that's a really good hockey team. And actually, since we had that conversation on Thursday morning, he's only been on the ice for one high danger chance at five on five in two games. So maybe to your maybe point, he is as maybe good. he is good enough yeah. <laughs> when he just turns his attention and and, you know, wakes up a little bit and focuses on because he had some moments in that Seattle game where it was, it was like, what are you doing? Right. You know, he jumped way into pinch on, you know, in the neutral zone on one play. And it was like, what was the end goal here? You know? And I think maybe it's just eliminating some of that. And then you put, you work back in the offense a little bit, but I think there's probably a tendency from him. He sees the injuries up front early in the season. Mm -hmm. Right. And thinks I can, I can put this team on my back. I can, you know, I can generate. I can, you know, be that guy that makes up for some of that offense and he can, but at what cost, right? And Matias Samuelson hasn't been quite as good this year, hasn't always been in the lineup either. And so then, you know, you're playing with Matias Samuelson or Henry Okiharu and those guys aren't, you know, Samuelson can be when he's at his best, but those guys aren't established, shut down, stay at home defensemen yeah. that allow you to necessarily play the way Darlene does. So I think it's been a, a mix of factors. I don't consider myself in the camp of massively concerned about Rasmus Darlene, but I think he's an interesting player to watch the rest of the way because, because of him trying to find that balance of, you know, where exactly the right mix is for him. And he had it last year, but it's, it's kind of gone away from him a little bit this year. He's the critical component for the team, right? So there's always going to be concern or at least, you know, he's too important where you got to watch him closely. But I think that that's really encouraging the performance, especially how shorthanded they were at times in that game. They had freaking Gergensen's back there taking defensive shifts for a car and out loud. You lose Samuelson who lined up, started the game as Darlene's partner. So just to kind of reset the defensive pairs that they went to market with yesterday, you had Darlene with Samuelson, Power with Eric Johnson, Ryan Johnson with Clifton. On the assumption, are we thinking that it's fair to say that we might be with without Matias Samuelson tomorrow? History shows so. us when he goes down, he probably misses a couple games, right? That's what history tells us. Who you His put concussion protocol, too. 
Um, oh, so then, yeah, there you go. So it's hard to predict. And they don't usually say concussion protocol unless they're mad about the hit. Um, and That's so true. We got a little extra info uh, uh, from both of those guys went into concussion protocol. Darlene came back in the game. Samuelson did not. So this is not like football either where the concussion protocol is very well spelled out and there's stages and all this he could be back on monday and it's a guessing game as to what stages he went through to get there i don't think with it being an early game that's realistic but uh right so i would say dalene could be dealing with a new partner here um do you go or, uh do you go yoki haru or do you go ryan johnson or do you go someone you, else completely different you probably plug yoki haru in there because here's another interesting thing I gathered this week for a story that'll probably come out this week at some point talking to Connor Clifton about his game. That's kind of gotten back on track, uh, quietly. He drew a lot of criticism from fans for his first 20 so games. And he absolutely took it on the chin. I mean, he, you know, when we talked this week, he was pretty open about that, not being, you know, him not playing well at all, but we taught, smaller part of the story, but we talked about him switching from left defense to right defense, and he hadn't really played left defense very much before this season. And at some point, Eric Johnson was like, Hey, we should switch. And that started to help. And then now they've been going a little bit more lefty righty and it's made a big difference for Clifton. And I think it probably speaks more to a plan on defense as a whole Clifton spent all of training camp playing with Darlene. And then right before the start of the season, they right. switch it, they switch it back up and then he's playing left defense. So he, now you're switching where he's playing, who he's playing with. And then you have all sorts of lefty righty stuff kind of jumbled up. You're not going lefty, 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 righty, righty, righty. And not every guy is good with that. It impacts, you know, how you're playing the puck. It, it impacts vision a little bit, where you're looking, opening your body up, probably opening the puck up at times to more dangerous plays. Some guys prefer it. Some guys do not. I would say, I can say confidently, Clifton does not prefer it. But it sort of speaks to the plan, right? You could say, oh, he's an NHL defenseman. He should be able to play wherever it's i would say that easy yeah. i would say he's a 3.3 million dollar player that you signed for three years and you need to have a better plan than that for him that that mm. would be my stance on it that it's not really fair you know to judge this guy when he had to play all of camp with one guy get switched with another guy and now he's playing his offhand and that didn't seem like it was part of the plan going in so now you have eric johnson up with owen power seems to be working out a little bit better it seems to be helping power out a little bit at the very least but that's why i you know dalene seems to be one of the players that doesn't mind being on his offhand um but i think there's a component there is like what was the plan on defense and now you have ryan johnson who i think is an interesting talking point for us because mm -hmm. because he's uh a favorite of sabers prospect has been for a while but he's another lefty, that's, right? That's not the only reason why, though, that we should be talking about him yeah. here when we're talking no, because about he's, Mason Samuelson. Because he had a great game yesterday. He had a great game yesterday. He's one of their best skaters on the entire team. He is 
really sharp with the puck. But my question is, he's another lefty. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it kind of complicates things a little bit with the lineup. I like him with Clifton. I think it kind of worked pretty well. But, you know, and Clifton's kind of a stay-at-home guy. Johnson can move the puck a little bit, get involved on the offense. But, you know, do you put him uh, at, at right defense or left defense and have Darlene over Just, on the right? That yeah. could work. Um, and then you have Power, Johnson. But then you have to go, what, Yoki, are you Clifton? Wh- who's playing left? You know, it and, depends on what you want to do with Yoki Haru, right? Like, why are they sitting him down? Do you put him back up there because he's going to have to play big minutes if he's going to be paired with Valley? My thought with Johnson is you have a guy that's going well, and maybe you feel more comfortable with that guy. And you mentioned his skating, but it's how crisp he moves the puck. He's forceful with his passes. Everything is purposeful. Can he be the guy that plays those minutes? You know, and can handle it the requirement of playing with Rasmus Dahlin. It's going to be interesting to see tomorrow on Monday. We're recording this again on a Sunday for those that aren't live with us right now. And thank you for everyone that is here today. And I see the chat. I've been looking at you, Matthew, on the screen, but I do see the chat moving. It's been moving. It seems like it's been been cooking. Is Is there anything in there? Because we are 53 minutes in. I don't have all my my prop bets in yet that I probably missed all the good lines anyways for over under receiving yards and receptions and things like that, that I like to dabble in the NHL or NFL, excuse me. But, um, I haven't really been watching There's the chat because I've been so engaged. I've been so engaged in this discussion with you, Matthew, and trying to be careful, by the way, this is a, um, it is a tequila cocktail, but you can see, look, I barely touched it. So if anyone thinks I'm being stupid, it's not the booze. It's just me naturally not being a smart human being. We have some captain chatter in the uh, in captain the chat. chatter as always. What do you want to talk about? Dylan Cousins being captain. Do you bring back Ocposo for another year? And if not, you know what happens? Okay, you know who's the captain? Not reading the chat, not knowing the flavor of the captain chat thing that's going on in there. You can't bring Kyle Ocposo back. I just think that even though he's playing well, I think you have to you have to move on and give a different look top to bottom where you can. I don't think Kyle Ekposo wants to come back either. And that's a big part of my vehement opposition to him coming back is just let him go be a husband, father. He can still be around the team. I think he'd be the the young group that's still here finding their way would benefit from having Kyle Posa being around, but I don't think I think it's time. I think he's playing well, but I agree. Uh I think the we've talked about the captaincy, the future captaincy before. I maybe have changed my tune slightly, which is why those uh comments stood out to me because Kyle Poso leaving creates a big leadership vacuum. And you then have to decide whether you give it to Rasmus Dahlin, who has all the makings of a captain and would be a fine choice, but who is very young still. He's 23, right? Has he turned 24 yet? Not necessarily your... I guess he's getting... 
getting old by hockey years, but still a young man, you know, just signed his first big contract and, and all that. Whereas you have Alex Tuck who is acting very captain like this year when he they is. lose, when he, when they lose, he's there to say what needs to be said. What he got a letter when Kyle Ocposo was out with an injury, which was noteworthy. Right, because we've talked about Dylan Cousins and Tage Thompson as two other, you know, leadership candidates, but Tuck's the one who got the letter. And in some ways, it feels like you can't fully judge who the next captain should be until the current captain is gone, right? Because the leadership pecking order and the leadership flavor and and how the whole dynamic is is a little bit different when the guy in charge is gone. You know, who starts to fill the different roles? And is Darlene maybe a better fit with the A than the C? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's maybe not as cut and dry, but they have plenty of leadership candidates in the room. And I know Tuck has been a fan favorite pick for captain for a long time. And my sense just from, you know, the team was that it was probably more likely to be Darlene and maybe still is, but. I've come around to talk with how he's handled this season in particular, fighting through injuries and just constantly being the voice when the voice is needed, it feels like. And there was a comment in here about Dylan Cousins, uh, you know, yeah. because he's the one who really said what needed to be said, uh, you know, a few months ago at this point about what the team was really lacking. But I think Rob Wise makes a good point here that Cousins has had trouble with the pressure he has this year. He doesn't need to add the captaincy to that necessarily yet. Well, right. That's always been my asterisk with the Dylan Cousins captaincy conversation is that he's close. He has the he's cut from that cloth, but it's too soon. Going back to Akposo for a second, though, part of it is not just they need to move on. It's also the on ice product. I know he's playing well. They need to get faster and harder in that role that he currently occupies. That was the appeal going back to the names that I will no longer speak of after today, but the Hathaway and the um, Miles Wood, they're fast. They would have added a little bit more of a speed injection in there as well as playing physical, having a little bit of attitude, moxie. But they have to figure it out. I, You know, it's always, you talk about making guys feel uncomfortable, remove Here's them. Because we talked about this a couple episodes ago, Matthew, when... Those those guys, when they were going through that stretch before you had to take your break, was who was going to pick that team up and drag them out of that hole that they dug? And that's where I saw Cousins step up. I think that's where you started to see Tuck. Tuck was battling the injury, though, too. For me, Tuck's an A. I think he can lead without the C. Everyone has to lead. You hear that? It's cliche, right? But these are professionals. They all have to lead in a certain way. I don't think Tuck, and I get it, he's fan favorite. He's not a C to me. I can see That's, that. And I, think just, the, yeah. I think the hesitation I've always had with Tuck is that he is a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And making him be the guy that always has to answer for the losses and for this and for that might change you know, some of that. He's kind of he's he's a guy that can lighten the room and and connect to to everybody and and maybe the A is the better fit for that reason. And Darlene is competitive as anybody, like leads with that. 
Here's an interesting question worth some some conversation from from Stephen Cantor in the chat. He said, I don't think the C is on the roster right now. The Sabres need to go out and use some of their prospects to go get their captain. Now, I don't know, and I'm not sure Stephen knows exactly who that is, but it's also something I've thought about is that maybe you don't go with a captain right away, and maybe there is a way to make a trade and add some leadership from outside because I don't think there's anybody that would argue they could use a little bit more of that, you know, a, a different voice, somebody who could really drag them into the fight, you know, as you say. We started talking about that at the top of this podcast. You know, I kind of threw it in there. It was almost like a throw, just a brief throw in. But I did, I did feel that, and I still do, guys like Eric Johnson, Ocposo, they're on their, they're on an island, it seems like, with the leadership. But like there's just not enough. There's a big gap between those guys and the rest of the young guys. And they're not all puppies, man. Like, but maybe that's a good call. Maybe the captain isn't on the roster. It's also very dangerous. I think the last time they did that where they brought someone in brand new, like Craig Reve, they voted him captain his first year here when they went and got him from San Jose. That was years ago. But trading the prospects for a guy. Look, we, it's either it, the comment, the, the commentary on like what the Sabres need to do, what type of trade do they need to make? It's either people get the, the concept of moving Casey Middlestat. It's either move a guy like that or bundle the prospects. But no one's talking about Casey Middlestat and a prospect to get the talent level, the leadership level that might be required to take this team to the next level. It's been a lot of one or the other. And my whole thing was there's people that don't want to trade Middlestat. And again, I'm going all over the place, but that's it. We're an hour in, so all bets are off now. Everything's fair game. Okay. People think it'd be a mistake to trade Middlestat. And I get it because he's a good hockey player. He's your leading scorer on the team. Still, right? I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure because no one else has been lighting the world on fire. Yeah. Skinner. But I remember, still. okay. Skinner, yeah. <laughs> so, but I remember a while ago, like maybe not a while ago, a couple of years ago. Before Middlestat became what he is now, people wanted to trade him. So, like, I get a lot of trade Savoy, trade Kul like not Kulik, trade Oslin. There's not enough room for all these guys. But those guys are still developing. Like, we're I think we're and I said this by the way. I said the easiest move to make is just yeah, bundle your prospects. I get it. When I said that the conversation devolved on the last episode that we did, I'm like, how did the conversation devolve? You talked me into like saying that you just trade a bunch of these prospects. Right. It's the easiest thing to do on paper. But when you step back and you start thinking about it a little bit, it might not be the best. You have to build your bench in every business, like your bench strength, right? They have a lot of strength right now, but I think the move, let's come, let's, let's have both of these concepts be brought together. It's it's middle stat and a prospect, a good prospect that probably gets you the talent that you need. And I think that that's like the launching point into like future discussions that we have. It's like who and like what's out there because as the trade market becomes a little more clear, I think that concept is right there for us to talk about. Yeah, I think it it gets you maybe that top four defenseman that you've been after uh, to to pair with either one of your you know top because the other thing is Samuelson looked pretty good with Clifton too. So, you know, playing a little lefty-righty third pair. So you could argue that you need somebody to play with Darlene. Uh, yes. And not just power. Um, so 
yeah, I think that combination, and that's where the Casey Middlestat conversation always ends with me is that it's not that Casey Middlestat can't be a part of a winning team. It's not that he's not a good player. It's that you've already committed to a couple of other players at his position. You have some prospects at his position just from balancing out your roster, building out, you know, your team. If you're going to change the look of it, that's one place to do it. Henry Okiharu would be another, but it's more minor because I don't think he fetches the same return. Uko Pekalukanen would be yet another one if you wanted to get more experienced in goal with Devin Levi. Um, you have to look at your pieces that have actual value and not just prospects because I don't think you want to spend all these years building up this prospect pool and then just throwing it away. That's my point. You've already yes, been patient. You've, you've already done the hard part, right? You've already been pretty patient with these guys. And as they're on the cusp of becoming NHL players, I don't think you want to just throw that away. It, you're dealing from a position of strength there, and you want to be selective about how you pick apart that prospect pool. They're not all going to fit in your NHL lineup. They're not all going to be good NHL players. So I understand that. But you also have to be a little bit selective, figure out, try to time their arrivals too, right? Space them out properly. All these things that it's quite a, a puzzle that they have to put together. But that's where all those things have to factor into the Casey Middlestat decision. It's not just because I got a lot of people responding to me when I wrote about it about, you know, I can't believe a team that doesn't have enough good players is talking, you know, we got people talking about trading one of their good players. And it's like, you have to do some, you know, if you want to change the look of this team that's on pace for 76 points, you have to do something like that. You have to give to get. And the way it's built right now, isn't working partly because of injuries, but partly because of the makeup of the team and the lack of depth at certain spots. And that's where it'll be interesting. Like you said, to, to gauge the trade market, see who's out there, see what's going on and what opportunities exist because, you know, so far the Sabres under Kevin Adams have not been opportunistic about adding. They've been opportunistic about selling when they had Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Rasmus Ristolainen, but to make these big trades to add a big name, we haven't seen it yet. And maybe the timing wasn't right before, but I think everybody can agree that they are at that stage where a bold move will be needed at some point, I think, in the next six months. No, right there with you. Right there with you. I don't know if you have anything else in the chat here. Um, I still haven't gone through the chat. We usually are pretty attentive to the chat, but we've just been kind of rapping here and I haven't really been paying attention to it. So I am seeing a lot of the captain talk in the chat. Absolutely. Um, you know, this too could drive, help drive uh, future agenda points. James Campbell says, Ryan Johnson has been much better than I had thought. Yep. I agree. JT Miller. Yeah. We haven't really talked about JT Miller, by the way, in that whole incident. Maybe we end there, you know, yeah, because that was, that was uh, uh, he, he plays tough. Miller does. And that's another thing that's been missing from the Sabres roster. If you want to yeah, you know, look at parallels. Some feathers. Yeah, he ruffled some feathers yesterday. Uh, so but... Owen Power responds. We, I was happy to at least see it. I mean, was it a successful response? No, but did it meet the minimum requirement? Yes. Was it overdue? Yeah. Yeah, it was, really not a, it was not a super strong response. Uh, but it was a response. Um, mm -hmm. First step uh, in his journey into becoming what you think he might be able to be in terms of realizing how big and strong he is physically. He's yeah. Never gonna shows, be an ass kicker. Yeah. Well, and it shows me that 
I think, like you said, it showed a, a bit of a baseline for me that this guy needs to get stronger because after that, he was throwing his body around the next few shifts, and it was like, man, even when he wants to, it's just not there. Um, yeah. But I liked to see the willingness. Like, it was the angriest I've seen him. Uh, you know, I don't think he gets uh, super angry. So, but it showed a little bit of what you need. Um, and, and I thought maybe, you know, Eric Johnson jumping in was needed. Um, they needed, you know, but then they were so shorthanded on defense. So it just shows how few guys they have that are, you know, able to kind of take up that, that role and that responsibility. But, uh, it certainly got the blood boiling and made for a, you know, a pretty interesting game, but yeah, it shows a little bit of that edge. The guys that ride the line, Brady Kachuk was in here the other night, you know, another one that, that really can can get sparks flying a little bit and sabers are missing that you know that you know not talking about somebody with no skill either you know those are two guys that play big roles and have pretty big skills so it'd be interesting to see if the sabers can address that either internally or externally this offseason i was happy to see the response from power i was happy to see eric johnson i was like yes good on him you know and it's not like a uh, neanderthal dinosaur hockey thing to like and appreciate what eric johnson did that's because at least we saw something this time. I remember in that Carolina game, it was Nason got caught up with Dali, knocked him to the ice, and no one did a thing. And it was just like this message to the rest of the league hey, you can go and hit Darlene. The Sabres aren't going to do anything about it. It was like Lucic running Ryan Miller all over again. It took, you know, Paul Gostad to go and get punched in the face a couple times by Lucic, like a couple months later, you know, for them to kind of do anything about it. I was happy to see a response, but yeah, more of that more gumption and hopefully that was a first step into the pool for Owen power to kind of realize that he can play that way. He can do more than just try to make plays with the puck. He's a big kid. It's going to take some time, but it was, I was happy to see it. Um, anything else, man? Cause I don't know if I want to go back to the chat and I don't really have a whole lot of other things written down the line combinations. You know, I mentioned wanting to talk about Benson. We should probably talk about that maybe next time. I saw the Skinner. What I'll just say on this, I saw the Skinner exiting the lineup to get well is potentially an opportunity for Benson. We haven't seen that come to fruition yet. I could be wrong. Maybe, the, I, and I thought maybe they were going to do it because they wanted to keep that whole Benson Greenway uh, middle stat thing going. But to me, that might have been a missed opportunity. Maybe we still see it depending on how there long Skinner's still be been for. Yeah, there yeah. could still be time. And as we get into the second half of the season, I think that's another big story to watch is is what can Zach Benson be, uh, you know, as soon as next year or the year after, you know, on his entry-level contract, are you looking at a yeah. guy that can can really boost your lineup in the top six? And I think you are. Uh, I think that is who he is. And I would like to see it. I, I, would, I think we're we're getting to that point where you're in evaluation mode, and that's an important guy to see. You know, as you make these offseason decisions that we talk about, you know, just how good can he be next year? Uh, we know the upside, but how good and how soon? Because you need to make other decisions around that. So let's make a deal the next time we get together, because it seems like we always talk about Casey Middlestad and it's becoming almost too obvious and too predictable. There are other players, and we even mentioned them, I think, the last time we were together. And, but I think there's other players though, that we should be talking about potentially, you know, like, do you offer them up if you're Kevin Adams? I mean, you're not winning consistently with this group. And the answer isn't just 
funnel some prospects, you know, because then you're, you're never going to install a winning tradition with these young guys on the farm. And I know that's not paramount, but it's something that you want to do, but there's other, like what happens if you trade prospects, by the way, you still have all these other guys on the roster that you're not winning with. It's not just right. Casey Middlestad. Okay. There's other guys there to talk about. And I think you just mentioned maybe one of them, but we yeah, have to do some Casey work on that Middlestad. too. It's not that Casey Middlestad is contributing to the losing. It's that Casey Middlestad's in a spot it's, in his career a, with his contract that you need to decide whether to trade him or keep him. So he's uh, an attractive he asset league wide, but here's the thing. You can pay 6 million to your third center. You can absolutely you can, because you have to have center strength. But, but when you're talking about changing the look of your team, you've made decisions on other players. You haven't on him. And so that's where he's going to be a potential trade chip, but leaves us with plenty to plenty to get to like some non middle stat stuff to get to, I guess next week or later this week when we get together. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I love talking about it, but I'm sick and tired of it at the same time. Well, we were a little ahead of the curve <laughs> on it, weren't we? We were. We've been talking we, we about were. it since September uh, when we first started. <laughs> That's chat. true, so, actually. That's uh, true. You know, knowing yeah. that it could get to this point, so still will be a story to track. But other, there's other threads to pull at here as as we get going. Um, Olafson is not hurt, by the way, right? Just quick injury update. So oh, we're waiting on Samuelson. He did have illness. Okay, so Olafson had an illness, but he's back. Skinner week to week upper. Yeah. Thompson a little banged up, but fine. Darlene a little banged up, but seems like he's fine. And then that's about it. So San Jose Monday, Chicago Wednesday, Tampa Saturday, all at home, and then they hit the West Coast. So maybe Let's we'll try talk to do, uh, Thursday. Thursday. Let's do oh, we both okay, there it is settled. We both said Thursday at the same time. All right, so I'll see you Thursday. Um, leave us with this. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Scale of one to ten. Jordan Greenway's performance as a centerman, how would you rate it on a one to 10 scale? Seven. I think it was, I think so. he looked okay. Yeah. He looked pretty good. Not bad. I was pleasantly surprised, honestly. Um, and a pretty attractive trade asset. Maybe we can get to that next time. Nah, you just stole it. Nah, you bastard. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, we're an hour 15 in. I think it's a good place to stop it, even though our numbers haven't been higher than they have right they are right now. So that's great. Thanks for everyone for hopping in on a Sunday afternoon. Again, please um, like this video. Please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Please rate and review the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else. I don't even know who, who else allows ratings, but please do so. It helps grow this thing. We'll be better about the chat next time. And um, I think that's it, Matthew. For there it is, I got it right. For Matthew Fairburn at the Athletic, for the production crew freezing their balls off out in front of my house right now in the production truck. I'm Chris Baker. Thanks everyone for hopping, and we'll see you again next time.